Well, hello, and welcome to The Leadership Show. This is Harriet Schumacher, and I'm so happy, I'm honored, really, that you're choosing to spend some time with me here today. Uh, This podcast is really designed to have some honest, intriguing, hopefully a sprinkle of inspiration here uh, on the topic of leadership and what it takes to lead in today's uncertain and volatile environment. And I'm a certified executive coach. I have over 20 years of experience working with leaders globally. And by no means does that mean that I have all the answers. I just know some cool people. I've got some insights and sometimes some things that I wanna say. And so this podcast really is for your enjoyment. I hope that you tune in. I hope that you get some value out of it. And thank you again for tuning in onto the show. Okay, so we're going to talk today about uh, bias and uh, give you a little bit of an understanding, a little bit of a foundation of the biases and some of the barriers that impact uh, women at work. And uh, this is definitely a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Um, if you've read any of my emails that I've been sending out recently, I've been trying to spend some time really helping um, to disrupt the denial that gender inequality and bias exists in our work environments. Um, it surprises me that many women are not aware of gender issues, like, don't think that it is an issue, and uh, even more concerning uh, that so many men are just not informed on this topic whatsoever. And so uh, there's a lot to discuss here. I wanted to keep it, you know, sort of foundational for us today. And uh, we'll continue to keep um, adding to this topic. And so thanks for being here. And so, you know, obviously, uh, it should, hopefully it comes as, you know, kind of no surprise to you that they're just not Uh, we have not achieved equality at work. You know, they're saying that it's still going to take about, you know, 200 years uh, at our current rate of change for women to reach pay equity, which means they get paid the same as men. So currently right now in Canada, uh, full-time women uh, on average earn 87 cents to the man's dollar. Uh, That obviously becomes worse if you are a woman of color, if you're a new immigrant, Uh, And those numbers, I think, have gotten worse as a result of COVID because so many women have downshifted and left the workforce altogether. Uh, We also know that there is a power gap. There's an incredible article um, which uh, came out this year, earlier this year, which is a two-year study that had been conducted in Canada. Uh, The the article is called The Power Gap in the Global Mail. I'll make sure there's a link to that uh, posted here if it's not already in the network, um, but definitely want to you to read that just studying, you know, what's kind of going on in Canadian institutions uh, and corporate environments. We, we just know that there is not, uh, even though women make up 52% of the population, we do not make up 52% of the leadership population. And so, you know, in my career as an executive coach, I'm working with uh, leaders and doing leadership development my entire career. That's all I've done. I've really noticed that there's been a gap, you know, from room to room, especially at the executive level. Uh, You know, I'd be facilitating these leadership development workshops, and I would just notice that there are just way more men than there are women. And, you know, I've really worked to try to close that gap and to help women advance their careers, because I need, you know, if we're going to change the workplace to work better for women, if we're going to create uh, a more equitable and fair work environment for all, then women need to achieve equality. And it's complex. It's complicated. There's a lot of issues here um, that we won't be able to unpack in an hour, but I do want to get this conversation started. Share some statistics with you. Uh, some of the most bar- most common barriers I encounter when coaching women, you know, kind of what I've learned over the years uh, biases that could be existing in your workplace right now. And so I've sent out quite a few articles and emails on this over the past couple of weeks, different uh, diagnostics that you could use, uh, different questions that you could ask, 
to really help you to think about, you know, what's your workplace, um, how is it structured, and is it set up to support uh, women and to advance them into more senior roles. I have been very thrilled to see the results that have been coming from our executive coaching program for women, Lead Hership. Women in that program continue to keep getting promoted um, within, you know, uh, we've got a woman a woman who was promoted within six weeks of being in the program. We got a woman who just was promoted eight months after graduating the program to a VP level. So we're, we're really focused on getting women into more senior positions uh, of leadership. And we continue to see those success stories happening over and over again. And this is all happening during the middle of the pandemic. So we've learned some things about how to do that. And it really starts with you wanting it. That's the most important thing, you wanting to advance your career. That doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be in the C-suite. If that is what you aim for, then we can definitely help you get there. Um, but, you know, it does start with you saying, you know, I do want to advance my career and I do want to get a promotion or a pay raise or I want to take on more responsibility. And so uh, today I want to leave you with some things that you can do to try to overcome some of the barriers that might be existing in your work environment. And of course, as always, if you have questions, anything that you're curious about, please feel free to just pop those into the chat at any time or just unmute yourself and we can have a conversation. So I wanted to start off with sharing uh, some data because one of the things, I think the most startling thing for me as a women's leadership coach is how often I encounter women um, not having confidence and not believing in their own abilities and not seeing the value that they bring to their work environment. Lots of studies have been conducted uh, in a lot of different formats, a lot of different ways that prove women are very good for business. And so, you know, if you have a C-suite, you know, at least more than 30% of your C-suite with women occupying those seats, your organization will generate 15% more profitability. Why? Because we kick ass. <laughs> Why? Because we're really effective decision makers. We bring a different lens. In fact, we've seen time and time again through lots of leadership assessment studies that have been conducted that women actually outperform their male counterparts on almost all leadership competencies. Um, we also know that if you have a more gender balanced board or executive board, uh, you're going to have 27% more profitability in terms of long-term value creation. And we also know that if you have at least, you know, 15% of your senior management as female, you're going to get an 18% return on equity. These, uh, we have lots of more data that supports why the business case, why women are good for business. Uh, CEOs know this, boards know this. The challenge is there's not a really strong pipeline of female leaders. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, there's what we call the uh, broken cliff, so, uh, or the broken rung, sorry, the broken rung, which is, um, you know, women get promoted into that first level of leadership at a slower rate than men. So men are already, out, you know, there's more men in the pool, if you will, the promotable pool in that first level of management. And so, of course, they ascend uh, quite, quite a bit faster than women do. And so when it comes to hiring uh, people into executive positions, there's just not as many women to choose from. Uh, there's also what we call the glass cliff, which is women tend to get put into positions. And I see this happen a lot. Women get promoted internally inside their organization into an almost impossible position. Like uh, it's set up for, for failure, you know, from the outset. And uh, these women burn out. And this is what happened uh, during COVID. So a lot of women in senior leadership positions were overwhelmed and burnt out. And the jobs that they're in are just impossible jobs. They're not really set up for success. They have very little... Uh, very small support system. And so women were just like, I can't take on any more responsibility considering I'm also homeschooling my kids and, you know, we're locked down. I'm taking calls in my closet. Like, you know, it was just insanity. Um, so that's, that is something that is pretty common. And then uh, we have these biases and barriers, which just exist in our workplace 
which is what I want to talk with you about today, so that we can start to uncover these. You know, I'm really very, very strong about disrupting the denial that gender bias exists. You know, it's like, oh, we're still, you know, I, I get this kind of attitude, like, oh, we're still talking about women. Like, oh, haven't, haven't they arrived? Like, isn't this over yet? You know, we've got other issues to deal with now. And it's, you know, I really look at, you know, feminism and female equality is the equality that needs to be achieved in order for all to be equal without it there just will never be equality and, and equality is freedom. And there's so much to unpack here. Um, but we also know there's some really good things that come from women, uh, you know, when we're talking about just at the workplace, women led teams uh, are more profitable. And we also know that women led organizations are better places to work. And so I wanna give you lots of information to help you so that you can be um, conversant in this, you can be knowledgeable in this, you can discuss it with your employer uh, because this is not stuff that we can continue to keep sweeping under the rug. And um, yes, we still need to keep talking about this. Still a big deal. Uh, but So I want to talk to you a little bit about the biases that hold us back and make it hard to have these conversations, uh, you know, and to really talk it through. And, you know, biases is tough work because it's almost like, oh, it's a dirty word to have a bias. Well, a bias is everybody has it. It's not just certain people who have it. Biases are what have kept us, you know, on the planet. It's it's evolutionary. It's a part of our, you know, makeup. Uh, but I want to talk about some of the ones that could be holding us back and what we want to do about that. So there's a couple of biases that I'm going to share with you right now. Um, so that you can really get a sense of, you know, what are they? And as I'm sharing them with you and kind of talking them through, I want you to think about, have you ever experienced this kind of bias yourself? Okay, has, has, have you ever encountered this before? So the first one is implicit bias and implicit bias is, uh, you know, it's kind of like a blanket bias, if you will. It's where you hold an attitude or a stereotype about somebody without really consciously knowing that you're doing so. And so, you know, has it like my husband, uh, my husband is a man of color. Uh, he, his, fam his parents are immigrants. Uh, to Canada, you know, he's a first generation born Canadian in his family. And yet still when he speaks to somebody who has an accent from another country, <laughs> he develops an accent too. It's hilarious. It's not hilarious. I mean, it's hilarious because he's my husband, but you know, it's like, it's, it's a, he thinks that the person can't understand what it is that he's saying. So he's developed this over time, his communication style, which is, you know, it's funny, but you know, so I think um, he has a, he has a stereotype that the person uh, can't understand him because he's speaking in, you know, in a different tone or a different, a different language, essentially, you know, first language versus second language. So he doesn't consciously know that he's doing that, but I observe him doing that all the time. And so have, has this ever happened to you or have you done this to other people? I'm sure you have. Have you looked at someone and said, hmm, you know, like, uh, you know, you interpret what they're doing or how they're acting or how they're behaving differently because of their race, their gender, their sexual orientation, their place of national origin, their religion, you know, anything like that. And so what kind of implicit biases might you hold? Like I have an implicit bias about people who are like tattooed from head to toe. Like there's a guy who goes to my spin class. I can't, I mean, I can help it, but like, I know that I, I'm like kind of scared of him. Like he's literally tattooed from head to toe, like all over his head and his face. And I get uncomfortable being around him probably a very nice guy, but I, you know, I have this bias about it when I see him and I'm definitely conscious of it now because I saw him this morning at 5 a.m. and I was like, wow, this guy's intense, you know? Anyway, uh, so are you holding on to some sort of implicit bias or has that happened to you? And so have you ever watched what you said or, or, or you know, change how you've said something or has it have, has something that you said been interpreted by somebody else who was a different gender or, you know, have your words been interpreted differently because of your gender? Uh, you know, we talk about like mansplaining a lot and that's a really popular, I mean, if you, once you see mansplaining, you can't unsee it. It's everywhere. You know, I had a conversation with a guy this week, I'm looking for a copywriter and he basically, you know, sat on this introductory call where I'm going to hire him and explain to me, you know, this topic that I already am very well informed in, 
but didn't bother to ask me if I was just assumed that I had no idea and, you know, explained this topic to me. Right. So, you know, I, I couldn't help but think that it was, you know, a gender, it was a, a gender issue. Right. So versus another client that I was thinking of working with, um, I had a zoom meeting and the guy said, I, he acknowledged his bias. He said, I've brought a woman with me to this conversation uh, because I know how much you work with women. And I think it's important that we have a balanced gender perspective in this conversation today. I was like, okay, this guy gets it. You know, yes, that's great. And he was, you know, open to acknowledging and putting it out there into the room. So implicit bias, we've all got it. It's there, right? It's not something that uh, only, so acknowledging it, being aware of it and working through it is really important. The next bias that I think really impacts women at work is what we call a performance bias. And so this is where we underestimate women's performance while we overestimate men's performance. There's a really interesting study that was conducted by Hewlett Packard, which showed that, and this bias exists even within us. Like I want you to also keep in mind here that we have all been uh, conditioned in this environment, right? So we develop a pattern of behaviors in response to these biases as women which we're not conscious that we are doing, but you know these biases are happening to us, not by us. And so we evolve and develop a pattern of behaviors as a result of them. So this Hewlett Packard study is a proof of that. So it showed that 100% of men will apply for a job, even if they only have 60% of the qualifications. Isn't that incredible? 60% of the qualifications, 100% of men will apply for the job. This is so not women's experience. This is like, you know, we, you know, if they have a, women feel like they need to have 100% of the qualifications and this has been researched. And it's a very, very um, popular cited piece of research. And I see this women not even applying to jobs, not even considering asking for it because they don't feel like they have 100% of the qualifications. And this is interesting when you look at it with the performance bias, because the reason it happens is that I think women have experienced a world in which someone has said to them, uh, you know, you haven't done it yet. You're not qualified yet. And this, this happens a lot when women are trying to get promoted. Uh, I cannot tell you how many women I have coached who have hired me as their coach because the feedback that they've received internally inside their organization when they've been trying to get promoted from their employer is that you do not have enough leadership experience yet. So we can't promote you. That's a performance bias. A man would not hear that. I mean, I'm generalizing, but I'm, I'm gonna place a bet on that, right? Of course you don't have any leadership experience. You can't get leadership experience until you lead. It's the only job on the planet that you get for the first time with no experience. And so, you know, it, what, what this feels like is we need to prove something first. And I think that this really uh, lives quite powerfully inside of women. And so we work really hard and we put our head down trying to prove our performance so that we can get promoted. And yes, that's part of the job, but I think um, when a man comes in to a conversation and says, I want to become a leader, uh, he has a different level of belief that he can do it. And the person on the other end of the conversation also believes that he can do it. And so even if he has never done it before, there's a different level of belief that men are leaders and women are not. And so that that can really impact, especially if you work in a male dominated environment, this kind of performance bias is probably pretty strong. And so men get promoted based on potential alone. Uh, so he gets promoted, he's given the opportunity and you as a woman might feel like you're being assessed more on your performance. There's more of a critical lens being put on you. So, you know, underestimating women's performance while overestimating men's performance. And so we can take, you know, a lot longer to get promoted than our male counterparts because of this performance bias. And I'm just, you know, kind of giving you one example for each of these. The next one is called affinity bias. And this is another big one that holds women back. And this is what happens when you choose people who are like you. So affinity bias, like I find affinity with you, right? So either you look like them or you sound like them or you have a similar shared experience and 
you have a common history with them. You're easier for them to be around because, you know, because of that common experience, right? Like you're, you make the person comfortable. And so this is what, you know, I call like the boys club where, you know, I spoke with a woman, she was um, a management consultant here in Nova Scotia. She was the very, she's an accountant. She was the very first woman to be allowed into the Halifax club in Halifax which, you know, she's still working. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago when that was a man's club. Women were not allowed. And they only had men's washrooms when she started. We're talking like 30 years ago. Uh, they had a, didn't have a female washroom. She said she had to go downstairs, like through the galley and like out into the back to use the washroom because there was no washrooms for women. I mean, it's not that long ago that this stuff was acceptable and you know normal practice right but this kind of stuff has gone underground now right so there's still um you know the boys club and if you've noticed that you know men get taken along on different business development opportunities or networking assignments or given stretch assignments because the man says you know i know him i like him we work well together it'll be easier for me uh then that person tends to get chosen for opportunities um versus women and so you know in those cases that bias can work against you and so what we need to do to work against this and i think you know a lot of organizations are doing a really great job of this um is to you know make the case for choosing someone who's different and you know investing in that relationship investing in the diversity of thought investing in um you know the difference uh, so that people, you know, look different, have different backgrounds and experiences, and those people get access to the same opportunities. So, uh, you know, it's important to recognize that, you know, if you look around in your environment, I'm working with an organization right now and uh, as a consultant, and if you look at their leadership team, they all look exactly the same. Middle-aged white men, seriously, like it is really apparent. And uh, when I first started talking with them, that was the first thing that I said. I was like, you guys have got some serious bias happening here. You got a big issue. <laughs> you know, your leadership team all looks the same. You have no women. Everybody is white. You're all middle-aged men. And uh, you've got some bias here. So you need to really think about, you know, the the it's 2021 boys, like this is no longer acceptable, right? Um, so it's it's definitely alive and well uh, in uh, our institutions and in uh, organizations in 2021, okay? Okay, the next bias that I wanna talk about is attribution bias. And this is giving women less credit for success and more blame for failure than men. Happens a lot inside organizations when an organization is already successful. And so, you know, when a woman is successful, the response from leadership sounds like, well, that was just going to happen anyway, you know, like, or some sort of external market conditions are, um, you know, making it easy for you. Like, it couldn't possibly be you that was, you know, generating that successful result, right? And so, whereas when the man is successful in the role, the leadership team is like, wow, you really nailed it, buddy. You know, you went out there and did it. And they're more willing to give him that credit and not necessarily give that credit to a woman. And so the other, on the flip side, the other side of the coin here is that uh, if there's a failure, so let's say, you know, a mistake is made, there's a failure. When a man fails, the organization says, well, you know, the team, blah, 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 or uh, the marketplace today, or the, you know, times are tough, the external forces are at play, right? So it's almost like he gets a pass. When a woman fails, the answer is she really didn't know what she was doing, or she wasn't competent to begin with, right? And I want you to think about if you've ever experienced that, like, you know, where the woman takes the blame, doesn't get the credit, but the man can get, you know, the high fives and the accolades and the recognition, and he doesn't, he, he doesn't get any kind of um, blame or accountability when things aren't going well, you know, they're treated very differently. And so have you ever experienced that? Have you have a leader who you've noticed who's done that inside the organization? 
I see it um, in uh, 360 evaluations. So I see this kind of language showing up because I debrief women's uh, 360s and I debrief men's. And this is also a very well-studied piece of research. Just the different words that are used to give feedback to men versus women. The kind of words that are used to uh, describe women um, is it's very gendered in a lot of instances and um, can definitely be an attribution bias where, um, you know, it's sort of quick to criticize for women versus uh, some things that I see with men. So it, it's interesting. And I think um, I'll put another link out to the performance evaluation research as well. So you can take a look at it because I think that's really important to know uh, when you're getting a performance evaluation, you know, are they evaluating you or are they evaluating your gender? Okay. So uh, the last one, the likability bias, which you may have already become familiar with, um, you know, this is a double bind. This is the, the trap that we fall into where we need to be assertive. You know, you need to ask for what you want, but when you're assertive, they say they don't like you very much. So, you know, she's bossy, she's cold, she's domineering, you know, all of those types of things. Or you're, you're very self-promoting, you're not humble enough. So we get caught in this trap between, you know, being wanting, expected to be nice and likable and also trying to assert ourselves in the same time. And so, you know, overcoming this, I, this bias in particular is really important that you get clear on what you stand for. And I think that's one of the biggest pieces uh, of work that we do, um, you know, in our coaching programs is to really help women identify an authentic brand of leadership. Um, we've got a lot of women who've been caught in this nice and likable trap, and it's really not serving them well. <clears throat> and so learning to be authentic and courageous and come out from underneath that and take a stand is really, really important. So, um, and it takes time. It takes time to get comfortable in, in that new self, right? So how to overcome this? I would say definitely you want to ask for some specific feedback. Uh, you need to, as a leader, you know, get clear on you know what are the business outcomes that your job is there to drive if you aren't getting clear feedback which is very common for women uh most you know women do not get very good feedback you need to ask for it and um you know that's something that we can help you with is to get very clear feedback so that you can get an understanding of you know how you're perceived what is going on and also how do they measure whether or not you're going to be successful in your role uh, I think it's 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 important that you uh, are getting objective feedback that's linked to business outcomes, and uh, you know are they are they saying things like they can't promote her or that she lacks you know leadership gravitas? Uh, because sometimes I can you know look through that feedback and say there's a gendered lens that I think you might want to be curious about here, um, because it could be translating to the reason we can't promote her is because she's not a man. So sometimes this bias does show up and uh, it's something to just be, you know, not be um, blind to. Uh, and so I think also asking questions about objective behaviors that you want, uh, that you're, you know, whoever is responsible for your promotion, uh, what they see you, what they want to see in you. So when I say behaviors, I'm talking like more of and less of. What do they specifically want to see you doing more of or less of? Because um, if they can't answer that question, it's going to be really hard for you to get a clear understanding of how success is measured. And um, you could be running into some bias issues. And so I think, you know, I, the antidote to a lot of this is conversation and clarity and curiosity and asking questions and continuously challenging your organization and your leader to speak in ways to you that are fair because they are about the business and not about your gender. And so the more that you can direct the conversation in that way and the more clearer you can be uh, with getting feedback about your performance specifically that is linked to business outcomes, linked to the role that you are hired and paid to do, the better a chance you will get to um, you know, sort of move forward and move ahead, right? But don't don't hold back from getting that information because it's really important. 
So to recap here, you know, performance bias we were talking about is underestimating a woman's performance while overestimating a man's. Affinity bias is choosing somebody because they're similar to you, whether that's their race, gender, appearance, you know, um, the way they speak, their background. I've seen affinity bias happen in an interview um, where, you know, I'm on a panel and the hiring manager is male and he interviews a female candidate and follows the script to a T for the interview, you know, asks all the questions, follows the process. And then the man that he interviews comes in, they break the ice in the interview. They find that they have something in common uh, and the whole process of the interview goes out the window. And these two guys are just bromancing the entire time and the man gets hired because he just feels like he'll be easier to work with. So this is real, <laughs> it happens, right? And women do it too. You know, we hire, um, you know, I hire women. Uh, I, I, that's, you know, I have that bias and I know that I have that bias. Uh, I hire women to work inside my organization and that's just the choice that I made. I have worked with men inside my organization before. Um, but you know, that's, that's my organization is based, uh, with women. So implicit bias, attitudes or stereotypes about people without consciously knowing you are doing so. And attribution bias is giving women less credit for success and more blame for failure than men. And likability bias is definitely penalizing women for being too assertive. And so I want you to think about these five biases for yourself. Um, have you ever noticed these happen inside your organization? You know, are, is it happening to you now? Has it happened to you in the past? If so, how have you handled it in the past or how will you handle it in the future? And uh, they are real and alive and well inside the organization, inside, you know, I would say every organization, some more so than others. And so I just want to make sure that we are clear uh, that, you know, we're, cl we're clear about this. So thinking about how have these biases impacted you? How might they be impacting women inside your organization? Um, and again, it's, this is not like a conversation about, you know, um, you know, blaming men, these biases exist inside women as well. They're, they're biases, they're there. Uh, it's about just disrupting the denial so that we can understand what they are and we can build some awareness around them so that we can bring, you know, light to them and hopefully change them. So, you know, one of the things that happens as a result of these biases that exist in our work environments and in our world is and how this impacts women negatively is that women are blind to them and are also blind to how they have um, developed a response mechanism uh, as a result of these biases. So I think that's one of the biggest barriers for career growth for women is being blind to these ineffective patterns and behaviors that you have developed in response to a system that is holding you back. And that's exactly where I like to interrupt uh, when I'm coaching women is to help them acknowledge that, you know, you've developed a pattern of behaviors. It's not good or bad. It's just not as effective as it could be. And you're, it's nobody's fault. You've developed these patterns because you're trying to succeed, you know, in a system, in an environment, which was not really ever designed for you to succeed in, in the first place. And so, you know, we develop behavior in response to a system. Okay, we develop these patterns and the patterns work for us, which is why we maintain them because it, it helps us to stay safe most of the time. And so over your career, your life, you were either rewarded for certain behavior or you were punished for certain behavior. And because certain behavior was expected of you or perhaps frowned upon at various points in your life, like while you were growing up, um, or even when you first like took on your first job and entered the workforce, you know, what we do is we make these intelligent safety-based decisions about how we should behave because it was expected of us or rewarded, or perhaps it was holding us back in some way. Like the need to be safe is a very strong driver and predictor of a pattern of behavior. And so I want you to think about, for the most part, the patterns that we've developed are in response to our environment, okay? 
what happens, especially for women is because, so let me just back up, men and women are rewarded for different things, right? Like, let's just clear, clear the air on that. We have, there are different gendered expectations and different reward mechanisms, you know, how very, very strong and very compelling, right? And so, um, you know, there comes a point though, where we maybe realize hopefully that the behaviors and the patterns that we've developed are no longer serving us. And so what got us here to where we are at a certain point in time won't necessarily get us to where it is that we are going. And so we're gonna talk about what these patterns and behaviors are in just a second. I'm gonna walk you through like the, the top ones that I encounter when working with women. But before we do, I just want to say, you know, in case you need more convincing as to why women are good for business and why you should have your, you know, you should be working to help more women get promoted inside your organization, if that's you or it's somebody else, uh, you know, Fortune's most admired companies have twice as many women at the senior management level as those who do not make that list. And we also know that when you have a more diverse and inclusive workforce, which would be women and others, you know, the organization makes better decisions, it's faster, more objective, and there's less groupthink. And what's also very interesting to me, another piece of research uh, that, that was done by Harvard Business Review, they took um, 360 assessments and they took the competency model that was embedded into those 360 assessments. There were 16 competencies that uh, leaders were being assessed on and women outperformed men on 12 out of the 16 competencies. So and it's interesting because, you know, there's just not as many women in leadership as there are men, but when we actually look at female leaders, they're more effective. And that is according to the people who were invited to evaluate them, right? So we're, we're rated better on men on key leadership competencies. There are some important ones which we fall short on, and that's a gap that we need to close around strategic thinking, around purposeful and visionary. Um, those are uh, competencies which we do need to get better at because that's one of the gaps that's holding us back from getting into more senior leadership roles. Okay, so I was talking about patterns of behaviors, these, these behaviors that keep women stuck, and that's what I wanna dig into for you right now and, and how we develop these patterns of behaviors in response to a system. You know, the problem is these behaviors I'm going to share with you probably have worked for you throughout your career. Um, and, and, you know, which is why you're probably tempted to cling to them. The, the problem is that when you move higher and you take on more responsibility, they start to not work for you. They can actually work against you. And so I'm going to share each of these right now. Um, feel free to take notes. And I want you to think about which of these might be true for you. Uh, the first one, uh, well, what just happened there? Let me go back. There we go. Okay. The first one is not being able to claim your achievements. There we go. That was weird. Okay. Not being able to claim your achievements. And so what I see happening is women who just don't know how to speak up for the great work that they do. I think women struggle with bringing attention, attention and visibility to their success because <clears throat> that's like bragging and boastful and salesy and icky and gross, right? So what, what the truth is, though, you're probably outworking so many people, right? Look, if you look up and look around, you're probably outperforming. And, uh, but you go out of your way to take credit, but to, to not take credit for what you've done, especially with senior leaders. A lot of women seem to be challenged with using the word I. But what they do is they like to spread credit around, you know, for their team, for other people, but can't talk about their own achievements. And so it's very, you know, this makes you look nice, but it's not very nice for your career because your work will not speak for itself. And if you cannot claim your achievements, how do you expect anybody else to? Because people are not really paying attention as closely as you hope that they are, right? So you need to learn how to convey your achievements and how to speak up for what you have done. You've got to be able to do that. Number one, super, super important, which you know piggybacks nicely into number two, <clears throat> which is expecting other people to notice your achievements. It's like this whole idea is if 
you know, if I just put my head down and I work really hard, perhaps somebody's going to notice someday. And these two work very powerfully together and keep so many women stuck, like I'm not using their voice at all. So I want you to think about how you can start to take responsibility for assuring your hard work gets noticed. Many women want more recognition. They want, you know, um, more reward, maybe more financial recognition. And if that matters to you, well, you need to recognize it in yourself first. So you need to spend some time really getting clear on your strengths, maybe perhaps conducting your own performance evaluation, and then go and ask for some feedback. Waiting for people to bring this to you or to bring an opportunity to you could take a very long time. And so you need to get a sense of where you want your career to go in the first place and then start to go out and enlist people to be able to uh, really truly support you and where it is that you want to go. Uh, the third thing that I see happening a lot as a barrier for women is overvaluing expertise. I think this is one of the reasons why so many women don't even bother applying for jobs or they spend so much time trying to master every detail of their current job in order to become an expert. And because you think that that's the path to promotion, you know, I think that that's really a great strategy for keeping the job that you have, not for necessarily uh, getting promoted. If your goal is to move higher inside an organization, your current expertise is not what's going to get you there. Mastery in your current role is really a recipe to keeping you in your current role. And so I think a lot of people find this idea pretty shocking, but you know, a lot of the women that I speak with, the assumption is if you put an enormous amount of effort into becoming an expert in your current role, then you'll get promoted. So the key here is to strike a balance between continue to keep performing in your current role, but learning how to equip yourself for your desired future role. And you can't do that if you're focusing on all the details, you won't have time. And so jobs at the top always require leading other people who have expertise, not necessarily being the expert yourself. This is a very difficult transition for a lot of women to make, but I can assure you this is the big difference between having a job versus a career or being a manager and a leader. So letting it all go, letting it go, okay? Um, most senior leaders that I know, CEOs, executives that I know, do not have expertise. Like they're purposeful and visionary and strategic. It can hold the big picture. They don't have much of a handle on the day-to-day. -day. In fact, I would say other people are doing the day-to-day -day for them. Okay. Another thing that I think women struggle with is you know, really focusing on building versus leveraging relationships. And I'm going to be doing a masterclass on this topic specifically and helping you guys to really start to think about how to leverage relationships to help you get promoted. Uh, but, you know, women, okay, you know, we get stereotyped as being sort of quote unquote natural relationship builders. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, if we're so great at building relationships, uh, why aren't more women getting ahead? What's going on here? And so I think the answer is building relationships doesn't equate to leveraging them. And so, you know, this is about being strategic with relationships. I see this happen with people pleasers a lot. So women end up, you know, being the listener, the helper, the guide, the advice giver, the shoulder to lean on, the person who brings the cookies and the muffins and the cakes. Uh, you know, I spend time with you, but I certainly would never ask you to help me with my ambitions. And so it's this constant giving and nurturing and supporting other relationships. And so I want you to start thinking about reciprocity. It doesn't have to be icky. It doesn't have to be inauthentic to do this. It's a give and take. It's an energy exchange. Okay. And I'm going to start to help you think about, uh, you know, what kind of relationships you need to build and leverage inside your organization and how it's okay to give and ask for something in return. Very, very strategic, really good skill. Uh, so then the next one is having a job versus a career. And I want you to really think about how long you've been doing what you are currently doing and how engaged are you in that? 
what if nothing changes? What if you're still doing the same thing that you're doing right now, five years from now? Because I think many women tell me that they feel stifled, they feel frustrated, they might be disengaged in their jobs. And you know that could be because you've been so focused on doing this job well, you've lost sight of what the future could actually hold. You know, uh, or on the flip side, you know, maybe you love what you do, but being stuck is never a good thing over the long term, right? So if you're seeing other people move up faster than you with less time, it might be a sign that something needs to shift. Because staying too long in a role can undermine your earning potential and also your self-worth, like you can become complacent, right? There's lots of reasons for this, and they have a lot to do with being a people pleaser and also overly loyal. I see women stay in roles for too long because they feel guilty about leaving their team or their boss or their organization. Um, and so this desire to please others and to be loyal to a boss or a team can lead you to neglecting your own ambitions. It is absolutely okay <laughs> to be ambitious and to want to earn more and to like shake things up and have a more challenging and rewarding career. There's nothing wrong with that. It's your life, my goodness, right? It's your career. The next one, perfectionism or perfectionist trap. Uh, if any of you think that you might struggle with perfectionism, I'm sure, you know, you're tired and it leaves a lot of issues, a wake of issues behind you. Uh, you can become stressed and really too narrowly focused, missing out on the bigger picture and can create kind of like a negative environment, especially when things go wrong. Uh, and disappointment because rarely will people meet your expectations. So I find this in, you know, in the top sort of two challenges I deal with women to resolve and perfectionism is, you know, shows up as being really hard on yourselves, having really high expectations. I was working with an executive group this week and the woman who, um, you know, is a perfectionist scored high on that. The words she used to describe herself, she said, I want to be the best. That's how she introduced herself. I want to be the best. And when you want to be the best, I mean, what is that? you know, best, as they say, best is never enough. There's never a finish line, right? And so, uh, you know, fear of making mistakes becomes a barrier Leader and, and leadership is risky. There's going to be lots of mistakes and lots of bumps along the road. And so I think if you want to rise, you really need to let perfectionism go because it's impossible to be able to hold all of that together and continue to keep taking on more responsibility. You're gonna to need to learn to let some things go and to make mistakes along the way and to learn from them uh, in order to be able to get promoted and to you know, break out of that pattern that's gonna be holding you and your career back. And the last one here, and I've already touched on it a little bit, is this disease to please. And you know, being pleasant to everyone is lovely in and of itself, but it can come with a major dark side. And it's it saddens me to see how many women struggle with this. It is, um, I mean, I, it'd be interesting for me to kind of go through all my 360 reports. I've done hundreds and hundreds of 360 evaluations and just see the pattern. I already can uh, name it, uh, but you know, being, being a pleaser, wanting to belong, wanting to comply, is very, very strong force, not only in, in women, it's also in men, but it, it's very, it's, it's out there. And so what this sounds like is you likely say yes to things you wanna say no to. You might be spending hours working on other people's issues. Uh, you probably struggle with feedback and being honest with your team, preferring to do the work yourself or hope that things just resolve themselves or go away on their own because people pleasers struggle with confrontation. And, you know, pleasing ends up being a vote for the status quo. And so you're sitting behind something. It's like you're sitting behind your voice and your power and are disempowering yourself when this shows up. And so probably you might struggle with delegation as well. And that leads to a whole other slew of issues, which is time management issues, organization issues, um, you know, not being able to make decisions in a timely fashion and you feeling burnt out and, you know, drained energetically and overwhelmed. And so I really do feel this is a uniquely female problem. I think that we have been told that um, this is how we add value. This is how we serve. And this isn't about balance. I see a lot of women just saying, oh, well, I need more work-life balance. It's not that. It's way deeper than that. This is about choice. This is about who you are and what really matters to you and boundaries 
not balance. And uh, this is about what you really want for yourself, not what you think other people want for you. And I want you to just think about, you know, these barriers that I've shared with you today, uh, you know, which of these barriers do you think that you might currently be struggling with? And when you start to look at sort of the, your life and the experiences that have shaped you, you know, where did you learn this? Where did you develop this pattern? Uh, is it, is it a, a mechanism that you have, you know, a structure that you've developed or deployed in order to keep yourself safe? And so there's a big difference between, you know, safety versus purpose. And I think more women need to get a better understanding of uh, what is their purpose? What are they passionate about? What's the vision that they hold for their career and their life? And be willing to deploy that intentionally every single day. And that will break down a lot of these uh, structures, a lot of these barriers that are holding us back. And, you know, the biggest things that I just want to leave you with as um, I just kind of wait to see if there's anything that crops up is, you know, number one, the importance of self-promotion. You got to be good at promoting yourself. Uh, you need to let go of the hesitancy to want to talk about your successes. Um, and, and think about it like this, like every organization has a marketing function, has a sales and marketing function in order to perceive. I want you to become your own marketing manager. You know, I want you to think about you are a product and how can you successfully market yourself as a product? And so, uh, you know, if you don't believe in the product, don't, you know, then of course you wouldn't promote it. But if you really believe in yourself, you shouldn't be embarrassed to promote yourself, not to be ashamed. You don't need to do it in a, like in a blatant or offensive way, but positive promotion. And this also comes off as a win-win for the organization because they're investing in you. And so, of course, they would want to know what is what am I getting for my investment? What's the return that I'm getting? So uh, I want you to think about some healthy self-promotion as you move into, you know, this season, the next quarter of the year. And think about, you know, if you have a performance evaluation or any kind of discussion that's going to be coming up in the fall, that you can lead that conversation with conviction and with courage and really with clarity uh, and be able to promote yourself and ask for what you want. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think I've learned in you know the 20 plus years of working with leaders is, you know, this reluctancy to want to ask for what you want and to be able to talk about your own um, accomplishments. And so I really think that this is something to put out there, to ask for feedback, just to make sure that you're being balanced, you know, and that you do have an understanding of what's working well, but also what are your opportunities and your growth edges and then uh, be able to have you know, healthy conversations with people who really are connected to your success and happiness uh, about your development and about your career goals. There's no point keeping that quiet to yourself. That's just not gonna work, okay? So thanks so much for being here today. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. Bye-bye everybody.